0: Life Unleashed podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Charlotte. And we're going to be talking about uh, good trainers with bad dogs today. And the reason we wanted to
1: talk about this is because we're both fairly okay trainers. We're good trainers. We're decent. We'll talk about imposter syndrome later. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And both of us have
0: dogs that would not be classified as perfect. Yeah. Um, So do you want to start talking about your, uh, your bad dog? Sure.
1: Um, well, so I have two, and they both are bad in their own ways. Um, Pax is five years old. He's a mutt. Um, and before I started training, I actually got him off of Craigslist, and um, which is a great place for getting dogs. Highly recommend it. Um, and I wanted to do therapy work with him, because every person with a dog and training goals – in the beginning therapy work is all they know it's all i knew what there was to do that's what i wanted to do with mouse yep and (laughs) so i got him with the thought that i would do therapy work um and he has some aggression issues based around people so that's just not a good not a good fit for him and then Bayo is the three-year-old german shepherd who i got to compete
0: and do demo work with and he is dog reactive so. so, and I have Mouse, who is the nine-year-old uh, Pitbull Terrier, um, who I got the off the equally reputable uh, eBay classifieds. Um, I've never heard of that breeder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very high-end. Um, and uh, she, as is typical for her breed, is extremely dog-reactive um, and has only gotten really more, more so, but better controlled and better managed with age. So yeah. also got her, um, before I was training dogs, uh, professionally, also got her with hopes of being a therapy dog. Uh, because I mean, cause that's the only, that's goal. what you do. That's the goal. Um, that's the goal. And, uh, very quickly figured out that therapy dog work was not going to be the right thing for her. Um, not really because of of the dog reactivity piece more because she is far too excitable um and into everyone's business and pitbull like um, she, really... pit <laughs> she just goes around pitbulling she just goes around pitbulling um but yeah putting her in an environment with uh where she needs to be gentle and careful um and cautious of tubes and wires and it's not a, not a good setup but for her. But aren't
1: Pitbulls nanny dogs?
0: Pitbulls are incredibly sweet, but they are not <laughs> nanny dogs. Um, they are, uh, they are little bull in a china shop dogs and it shows in mouse very much. So, uh, very quickly learned that wasn't the right step for her, but it's been a long journey of figuring out what to do with my, with my bad dog.
1: Yeah. And I think especially since we're both trainers, there's a stigma being a dog trainer that your personal dogs should be perfect. Mm -hmm. They should be well-behaved all the time. They should be poised. They should be calm when they need to be, alert when they should be, um, and be social with everyone, non-reactive, basically a walking robot. Which I think is kind of unrealistic, and I think when you are a trainer with a quote-unquote bad dog, um, I think it, it it's hard not to put that on yourself. Um, and I think a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people um, have a an idea that you know, if you can't train your own dog, if your dog isn't perfect, then you know, what kind of trainer could are you? How can you possibly
0: train exactly. another dog?
1: And I think um, part of that is kind of what before we get into all of this. But I think part of where your expectations lie um, depends on the person, like the person you are, what you are willing to do. Um, you know what your expectations end up being. How much time you feel like is worth putting into the dog. And also, I do think ideology goes into this a little bit. I think some people are willing to do whatever it takes, um, you know, to get a certain behavior. And I know some people have different boundaries. So I think depending on your own boundaries and limitations, um, as far as what you're willing to do as, you know, part of, as behavior modification or training or whatever, um, also sets your own limits and expectations. So I think it's not just a matter of, can you do it um, I think for some people is should you do it mm-hmm. is it is it worth is it worth it for my dog is it worth it for me how does my dog feel about this process um, so I think I think it's not just about skill it's also about what you're willing to put your dog through and what you're willing to um, put yourself through I guess yeah. as well
0: well and I think that that's an extension of our cultural expectations of dogs in general there's an expectation um, that when you are looking at a trainer's dog that they're going to be perfect in every situation because there's to some degree or another there's an expectation that every dog can and would should want to like and get along with other dogs like and get along with people Um, and that that's not necessarily realistic depending upon the combination of breed and genetics and experiences that that dog should have so then doubly so when you have a dog who because of everything that went on in their body chemistry uh, belonging to a trainer who doesn't necessarily have that social inclination whether it's towards people or towards other dogs I think that causes even more pressure um, surrounding the idea of, of you should have you should have a dog who can comport themselves in those situations where that's not necessarily the natural inclination of a lot of dogs
1: yeah and then I think and it it, again it goes back to like what matters to you as a trainer um but for you and I I think I when I say this I'm speaking for both of us both of us want our dogs to enjoy the training process Mm -hmm. both of us want to, to enjoy training our dog and the time we spend with our dog and if our dog is miserable around other dogs, if they're uncomfortable around other dogs, if they don't want to be touched by people. Those are not situations we want to put our dogs in. Even if we could train the crap out of them to a point where they could control themselves, you know, it doesn't mean they're going to be enjoying the process. They're still going to be stressed. Um, And then also as a professional, we need to make sure that we are not only not setting our dogs up for failure, but also not putting our clients in a position to be the recipient of that failure. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, again, just keep in mind just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and I think everyone's goals and expectations are going to just be a little bit different. Um, so with all of our dogs, there was a moment in their life where we noticed things aren't quite right. Um, for PAX, I was not a professional trainer yet. I think this is going to be kind of similar to how you've had with mouse. Um, but I was not a professional trainer when I got PAX. And to be honest, I really didn't notice things with people until he was maybe about eight or nine months old. Um, however, he did have guarding tendencies towards people from the time he was 11 weeks old and would uh, attack people over food, somehow I didn't think that was, it just didn't occur to me that that was, oh, he might have issues with people in general. Um, I thought it was very isolated. So while looking back on it, I do realize that he had issues from the time he was a tiny puppy. Um, As, you know, intellectually, I didn't notice it until he was probably nine months old. Um, and at that point, I also didn't have the tools to really address it pro- uh, properly. So I didn't do the right thing with that. Um, I didn't really think of it as a problem either. I thought, oh, it's just something I need to train out of him. I'll just force. It's all in how you raise the toilet. Yeah, yeah, so, um, and my response to it wasn't great until I started going to, you know, People who are a little bit more equipped to work with this kind of stuff. But, you know, I did the wrong things for the right reasons for a long time with him. Um, but honestly, it took until he was about probably two or maybe a little bit after that where I really accepted that there are some things he's just never going to enjoy and that I should um, kind of adjust my expectations with him. Whereas with Bayo, um, I got him when I was in, you know, already invested in being a professional trainer, I got him specifically for sport work. He was going to be my upgrade dog. Um, if anyone listens to the Cognitive Canine or Cog Dog Radio, um, she had a whole episode on upgrade dogs. He was my upgrade dog. And I had all of these expectations with him I went to a very nice breeder he has proven parents like everything was great um and at eight weeks old I went to introduce him to another eight week old puppy to play with and he got very defensive and snapped at the puppy and it I so that was the first thing I saw but it didn't really I didn't I didn't go, oh, this is a dog that's going to have dog issues. It was, oh, you didn't like that. Let's work on that. And then I noticed that he would bark at any, any dog that came through a closed door that he couldn't see. You know, so in a, a, a sudden dog. And so I thought, okay, okay, it's dogs that surprise him. And then um, he had a hard time with dogs at the vet office. So I said, oh, okay, it's dogs inside and dogs that surprise him. And some dogs that he sniffs. Um, And I took him to class at Coventry. And he was about... I think he might have been eight months or seven months old at that time. I think he might have been seven months. Um, And he barked at dogs that came into the room. But besides that, he settled in well. So I thought it was just certain things that were setting him off. And then... um, Over time, I finally started calling him reactive. I think it took until he was about a year and a half before I actually called him reactive. So it took me a while to actually accept that he had dog issues. Um, So from the time that I noticed stuff with him, which was eight weeks old, to the time that I actually went, okay, this is what I have. I'm going to accept that this is what he is. I'm honest with myself, Um, it was a year and a little bit before I could actually say that that was who he was.
0: So it takes a while. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I think Mouse's timeline is probably even stretched beyond that. Um, I wasn't at all in the training world um, when I first got her. Um, I knew I wanted a pit bull because uh, when I had worked at a kennel when I was much younger, they didn't play the pit bulls because of the liability involved in having a pit bull in daycare. Um, so those were the dogs that got some extra time when they were out in runs while they were boarding. We made sure to give them some extra attention since they weren't getting out and playing. So I spent a lot of time with the pit bulls and I really liked them. Um, I think they're goofy and fun and I everything I liked about them I still like about um, mouse. But I had no idea of what I was getting. I was very much one of the, it's all in how you raise them
1: mm-hmm.
0: mindset. And, I think oh, it's that, hard that hurts to, to admit.
1: Um. <laughs> well, I think it's hard not to when you get a it dog is. to go, well, I'm doing everything
0: I'm right. I'm doing everything right. So and it should all go right. You know, it, it, on paper, I was. You know, I had her, you know, I went online and I found one of the most well-regarded, um, places to go train my dog nearby. I went to Coventry. Um, you know, I went to Coventry. We did, you know, we went into classes. Um, I still kick myself for putting her in beginner instead of just trying to like slip her into a puppy class that would have like just started. Um, cause I think that it could have helped a little, I don't think it would have changed anything, but I think it could have helped a little to at least get for my knowledge, the background of socialization periods and stuff in, in development in her early days, because I really got her, she's thirteen or fourteen weeks uh, when I got her, so she was already a bit older than would have been ideal. I mean, also wouldn't have been would have been ideal to not get her off of eBay classified. So there was a lot there, um, but it took me a long time to really see what was going on for what it was. I think for a long time in classes, I kind of attributed it to she's an excited puppy. Um, because in a lot of ways she is, she isn't, you know, for a lot of dogs, not for a lot of pit bulls, but for a lot of dogs, it's about, you know, reactivity and dog aggression is about fear or it's about control or it's, there's, there are negative feelings surrounding it. Um, and wrapping my head around the idea that this dog is dog aggressive, this dog is dog reactive, um, but it's really about the joy of fighting. She's happy <laughs> She's about it. She's very happy to beat you up um, if you're another dog. Um, and that was, that was really hard for me to... That's still occasionally really hard for me to wrap my head around. And it's
1: hard to explain to someone who doesn't know the breed. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people know quote-unquote pit bulls. They think they do. Right. And, and when you meet an actual American Pit Bull Terrier... They have different breed tendencies than, say, like an American Bully or Mm -hmm. even an American Staffordshire Terrier, who look physically very Very similar. similar. Yeah. Um, But both of the other breeds that I just mentioned don't have the same dog aggression. Mm -hmm. And so a dog that, and people hate to hear it, but for generations have been bred to fight, she's going to have a motivation for that. And she does. She looks like she's having a great time yeah. when she's lunging at another dog. And
0: you'd go, "Oh, okay, well that's just a friendly dog." No, she will. <laughs> She'll fight. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I think to my incredibly naive untrained eye, I mean, it didn't it was bigger than a lot of the frustration greeting lunging, you know, the excited doodle in the class was also lunging at the end of their leash. Um, and it took me a long time to figure out that, no, it's a different this intensity. is, this is a different intensity. Um, and then once I, I really saw it was, was further on in classes. And by that point I was the person in the corner desperately trying to play attention games with my dog because she wasn't progressing the way those frustrated greeters did. The frustrated greeters learned, okay, I pay attention to mom and dad. I get treats. This is great. Um, mouse wasn't taking to that as easily because she's got significantly more drive to go after the other dogs than, than a dog who really just wants to say hi to everyone they meet. Um, so I was in the corner trying to play attention games with her, trying to keep her occupied. And really it was, I, I think the thing that kept me going and definitely the thing that made me a trainer was one of the trainers there coming over saying, you're doing fine. You have a harder dog than anyone else in the room. You're doing everything you should be. Um, Shout out to Steph. Thank you, Stephanie, for being <laughs> my angel always. Um. So, you know, that was that was huge. Um, because I think it was I, I can't specify when, but it was very much a dawning realization alongside just very, very sad. <laughs> realization was that the first Um,
1: time you heard or understood the label reactivity like did no one before that say like oh you have a reactive
0: dog I think it was yeah I think it was probably the first time that I I heard it used um and I really grabbed onto it because I didn't want to label her aggressive Mm -hmm. um especially because again she wasn't angry so it didn't aggression didn't feel right um it still feels off because mm-hmm. it again it it there's a connotation around there of negative emotions and I she doesn't start with negative emotions she'll absolutely escalate to negative emotions when dogs react negatively to her because they don't think it would be fun to fight um, and how could and they? she just thinks that that's incredibly offensive, yeah. um, but you know it's it's hard to get my head around. That as aggression, and it was impossible to get my head around that as aggression when she was younger, um, just because I was coming at it from such a hopeful, optimistic, uh, yeah. naively optimistic place. Um, so, reactivity was something I could handle, it was a word that I could lean on and that I could work off of. Um, So I'd say it wasn't, you know, it was probably once she was well into her teens that I was aware of it. I think coming to terms with it was a different process and is something that I've kind of worked with over the course of her life. Um, You know, I think if I had come to terms with it faster, I probably would have proactively pulled her out of daycare. I don't think that I think that they did amazing things. They bent over backwards to make sure that she could stay and play with dogs that she could handle and dogs that could handle her. But I think in the end, it probably would have been better had she been taken out of those situations yeah. um, earlier. So I think if I had come, if I had truly come to terms with it, I would have taken her out of that earlier. But there was a long period of first, you know, accepting that she was reactive, and then a lot of regret over well, if I had just socialized her, if I I had just gotten her earlier, if I had just X, Y, or Z. And I think that that's something that you had a note that you wanted to talk about, of just not dwelling on what it could have been. Yeah, so, and that's actually where I was going to go with that. Like,
1: you know, I think everyone wants someone to blame when they Mm -hmm. have a problem, and I think that's understandable. And, And if it's not someone, it's something. So you could blame it on the fact that you went into a beginner class instead of a puppy class Mm -hmm. you could blame it on the fact that you didn't take her out of daycare early enough I could blame Bayo's reactivity on maybe I let him interact with too many dogs or you know whatever it is um but the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter what you could have done or what did happen um the fact is that it is what it is now and I think holding on to what could have caused this what did I do to to cause this or or what did I do to create this behavior it doesn't help you in the moment necessarily so if and this goes I think more in line with like people who are rescue dogs that are older Mm -hmm. with behavior issues and they go well I think he was abused or I think he um had a really bad experience with a man wearing an orange hat Um, blaming something makes it feel better because I think you take a little responsibility off of you. You take a little responsibility off of the dog and there's a reason for it. When sometimes there's, the reason doesn't matter as much,
0: you know? And And I think that's really hard to grapple with is that there's this irrationality to some of the behaviors. And I think that's why... I think that's why it's hard to be a trainer with a bad dog. I think that's why it can be hard to see a trainer with a bad dog because we want to believe, and I think even trainers fall into this trap Mm -hmm. of we want to believe that if we're educated enough, if we know enough, if we can prepare enough, that we can get in front of this. And our dogs are proof that we can't. And it's funny too
1: because as we're talking... I'm thinking about if we had us as clients. If I had a client with an American pit bull terrier that was saying, Oh, she has dog issues, I'd be like, Yeah, no shit (laughs) Yeah. And if someone said, Oh, I have a German Shepherd who's dog reactive, I'd say, Yeah, no shit. And so while obviously, you know, there's some things you can do to set them up, we also have breeds that historically Mm -hmm. have a tendency to these behaviors. And whether you want to blame that on nature or not, you know I think that the blame isn't gonna get you anywhere. The fact yeah. is that you do have it and you have a dog with those with those issues. you have that breed with those tendencies. Um, so yeah, like getting stuck on what caused it or what the dog was feeling when he started this behavior, what sparked it, whatever. At some point, you're here. You have to respond to what you have in the moment, um, because I think there's there's some things that happen when you start blaming your dog's behavior on certain things. One, I think it can cause a little complacency. Mm-hmm. Oh, my dog was abused and he's afraid of people, so I don't work on his fear of people. It's just who that's he, why he barks. He's that's just that's who, who he, he is. is. Um. When I think, and this is, you know, we talked about expectations and stuff. I am all for making your dogs experience their life, their their response to things they're fearful of or angry at or whatever. I'm all for making it better for them. And so if you use it as an excuse to just be like, oh, that's how they are. They were abused, so there's nothing I can do. Um, I, I think that creates a little bit of a different response than you would have if you're just like, oh, my dog's reactive, let me work on that. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add on that. My brain kind of went... Sure, has... I'm not
0: sure I have anything coherent yet. No, um, I know. She walked, <laughs> she walked in and I, I kind of yes, went... Yes, my bad dog has joined us. Um,
1: <laughs> and now she's and looking she's
0: me. mauling everyone with kisses. Um, yeah, I think that having putting putting blame and putting a a you know being very focused on the cause of reactivity changes the focus um really from from what you can do about it saying my dog is reactive saying that I have a reactive dog well there are classes for reactive dogs yeah there are protocols for reactive dogs there's things you can do with a reactive dog and so there's there's uh there's there's actionable items there. Yes. There's things you can there's things you can take action on. And Saying, "Oh, I think my dog was abused." Saying, "Oh, I think she got spooked by this." Saying, "Oh, you know, I think she was neglected when she was younger." There's nothing you can do about that, and no. it gives you it gives you permission to have these challenges, which I think some people very much need because otherwise you you know, I, there is a balance there of not falling into a pit of Oh God, what have I done? You know, of blaming yourself and the middle ground is dealing with it.
1: Yeah.
0: But I think that there is, you know, there's a tendency to focus on what could have happened to the dog because then we're the it shifts the control. Yeah. We're no longer we're no longer at fault. There's nothing we can do. So this is just a part of them, whereas, you know, just owning that this is, this is something that they're going to do shifts the focus to now. It doesn't matter if we're, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. if we could have acted to prevent it. It doesn't matter if something in their past caused this. It's about what actions we're taking moving forward.
1: Yeah, and I hate to like, okay, I really hate this, but a lot of people who historically, if, if you've ever watched Caesar Milan, because mm. I watched it when I was like a middle schooler. Um, I don't condone his training practices, so please don't take that as what I'm about to say. But one of the things that he says is dogs are in the moment. You need to watch the dog in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so anyone who's ever seen that or seen a trainer say that, I totally agree. Like, in the moment, you need to observe your dog and see how they're feeling. Because that blame, that history that you have in your head, could also work against you. We Mm -hmm. talked about this last week about expectations and stuff. My dog has never been afraid of people or, you know, people with masks. And my dog two weeks ago barked at a lady with a mask and a big floppy hat on. And I can't sit there going, you've never been afraid of this. You are not a dog, mm-hmm. you know, that feels this way. In the moment, you have to kind of react to how they're feeling or prevent them feeling bad if possible. I'm rambling. Um you? Never. Never. Um, well, but to go back on what you're saying, I think it is important to not get stuck in the rut of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's a paralysis of, I don't know what to do and I don't want to mess them up anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or the the feeling of, well, we're never going to get any better. Yeah. And so I think taking action is only going to help you. Because... I, Even if you make the wrong choice, because I think that is another thing we get afraid of, making the wrong training choice or doing something that could set us back. Um, I think taking action of some sort is only going to help, um, even if you make those wrong choices, because those wrong choices are something you can learn from. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, thinking about what could have caused your dog's reactivity doesn't help them in the moment, but reflecting on that and preventing that maybe with a, a future dog mm-hmm. could be helpful it's not going to help your dog now um, but taking action and continuing to try to move yeah whether or not you move forward is another another moment. yeah I think
0: that if you once you get into that um, action, <laughs> Happy Pitbull Tale is going to be on this uh, this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I think once you get into that taking action mindset, you can then use those failures as an opportunity to learn, must you? Um, you can use those failures as an opportunity to learn. Um, and as data, you know, of this, okay, my dog can handle X, Y, and Z, but they cannot handle... B and C. Yeah. You know, you have that um you have that information then and then you know what you're working off of. You know what you're working towards.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, so you know, all of this is good. I feel like there's a lot of feelings that come with having a quote unquote bad dog. Um and I think it is really important to accept how you're feeling. Don't try to push those feelings down and don't try to take it out on your dog or other people around you. I think it's okay to accept that you're sad about how your dog is or it's okay to feel disappointed in how things went. It's okay to feel frustrated. Um, I think when those feelings are not okay or when you're putting them into your training plan or your training session But I think it is very important to acknowledge how you're feeling about this and acknowledge that those feelings are valid, too. Because I think there's also a thing, too, where people get, like, well, you should be so lucky you have a dog. Or you should be so lucky that your dog isn't worse. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to feel bad about it. (laughs) Like, I think it's a totally I mean, it's really,
0: like, you know, I I mean... I look at what you what you go through with packs, and I do feel guilty sometimes feeling as bad about mouse as I do because oh there's she always is lovely worse people, dogs. right there's there's always worse dogs. there's always dogs who have bigger complications. Um, but reactivity in, in all of its forms is draining. It's exhausting um, and it's it can be a challenge to work with and I think letting letting yourself be drained, letting yourself be. Upset by that when you know when that's where you're at, also, you have I'm taking a picture of her. I did. It also gives you, you know, the clarity to take breaks when you need them because just as much as it's important to pay attention to. Your dog and how they're coping with their environment and how they're coping with stressors. It's important to pay attention to when your trigger stacking and when you need to take that break because our dogs are connected to us yeah. and they feed off of, they feed off of the information we're giving them too. So if you're in a spot where your dog has had, you know, maybe had a few reactions recently and you're feeling more tense about it, then denying that you feel that way and kind of shutting that out doesn't do any good no um because
1: I think that is a thing that I do at least where mm -hmm. my focus is solely on my dog how he's feeling his progress or lack thereof Mm -hmm. and I kind of push myself past a point where I should have taken a break or you know because it's not just about the dog it is about you too if you're trigger-stacked if you're um stressed if you are not thinking objectively Mm -hmm. if you start getting emotional in your sessions that's when you need to take a break because you are the other end of the leash you are part of this equation um you know it's not untrue that tension travels down the leash Mm -hmm. so your feelings your emotional state is just as important to take into consideration i think it's also important Um, you know, we talked about not putting the blame on things. Don't blame yourself either. Um, and just because you have experienced what you believe to be a failure does not make you yourself a failure as a trainer. Yeah. Um, that's very final, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's very extreme feelings. And I think, you know, while we make mistakes, all of us make mistakes. And I do think, especially, you know, you and I, we put a lot of value into what we do, right? We have pretty impactful goals, meaning we want not just dogs in our care or our students to be well-behaved, we want the people to have a greater understanding of their dogs. We mm-hmm. want the dogs to have less stress and be better understood. We want there to be an understanding of thresholds and communication between dog and, and pe- people. And I think that goes a lot, a long way beyond just obedience training or yeah. manners training. And for me, I want to train positively in a sport that is heavily balanced and even goes far to say as coercion based. Um, these are goals that are not just, I want a dog to be well-behaved. They, they have multi-levels to them. They are, (laughs) we have a greater purpose to what we're doing. And I think when we are doing something that carries that weight with it, there's going to be failure. We're not just setting, you know, our bar is not low. Yeah, We've set the bar very high. And I think if we're setting out to do something worth doing, if we're setting out to do something of value, inevitably we're going to have failure and setback. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think it's easy if you're, goal is just to have a dog that sits when I ask him to sit, you're most of the time going to have a lot of success. You know, if you're, if your goal is not super lofty, you're going to probably meet it every time with every client. But if
0: you're trying to go beyond that, that's a, that's a pretty. Yeah. You're trying to set up a relationship that's going to last, you know, 10, 15, yeah. maybe 20 years if you're lucky and have a smaller dog. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty it's a big goal, and it's definitely something I come in as conscious of because again, the reason I ended up in the training world is because of the trainers I had at Coventry, because of Steph coming over and telling me that it was all right, and I started out and I will quote this of I wanted to be that for someone else, I wanted to be that for other people because indisputably that changed my life that changed my relationship with my dog is being given permission to be having a hard time that it was going that it was going to be more challenging with mouse and that someone else saw that and that's what drove me to want to do classes myself is because people need to hear that yeah um and so yeah that absolutely sets up this very very high goal of I don't you know I'm not just looking to teach your dog manners you know for for many people that's what I come in and do um, because that's what they need with their dog but there's always the ones who are struggling and I think need more and I think that that, that approach has really created my perspective as a trainer and that's who I gravitate towards Um, So I know that was one thing that we wanted to kind of take a look at. How is is having your bad dogs uh, changed your perspective or created how you approach your training?
1: Yeah. um, So when I started with PAX, I was a balanced trainer. Um, I came from horse training, which is pretty heavily based in coercion. Um, So I didn't bat an eye at correcting a dog for doing something that – you didn't ask them to do or that was quote-unquote wrong um notice we're putting a lot of quotes around bad and wrong um (laughs) so like my my initial thing with dogs was they should do what you say when you ask them to um and a well-behaved dog was the result of the training you put in and if you didn't have a well-behaved dog it's because you weren't doing the work you need to do um and i very much was the person who would judge you know people who had dogs that barked Mm -hmm. um people who wore oh my god i i heavily judged dogs in harnesses that were pulling their owners Mm. down the street um i was one of the people who'd be like just put a prong on it stop letting them you're letting them pull um and so i had this like kind of judgment I came from a place of judgment of as long as you work hard, your dog will behave. And so if you have a dog that's not behaving, it's because you're not working hard. Until I got to a point where, again, I was a balanced trainer and my dog was able to go on hikes off leash. I could ask him to stay um, on a sidewalk and go into a store because we, we were in DC. Um, so it was a city-based area, I could ask him to stay and go out of sight for upwards of 10 minutes and he wouldn't move. Um, but he was still biting people. And so when we got to a point, you know, where I finally, you know, around a year where I finally acknowledged that, you know, he has a problem and just getting him to listen to me when I tell him to do something isn't really working. Um, I had to acknowledge, the emotional aspect of my dog. Um, And so now, when working with clients, my focus isn't solely on how well can we get this dog to behave? Obviously I need to make sure we are, we have a house that is livable (laughs) for the people inside of it. We don't want dogs jumping everywhere and and being completely chaotic. but I also try to make a point to acknowledge the dog's emotional state and address that as well as any behavioral issues that come across. What was the question?
0: How has uh, how has having bad dogs changed your perspective yes. or created okay, your so perspective? I so you were answering. It. It. I we're was doing answering. I just
1: want to make sure. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when my dogs have a reaction, um, I'm not quite... Quite as angry at them, mm-hmm. you know. I, I not so much at Bayo, but with Pax, um, when he was really young, if he did something wrong, I I got frustrated. He was disobeying me. Mm-hmm. He wasn't respecting me, and so that put me in a mindset to get upset when he didn't listen, rather than listening to him and seeing why he didn't do whatever I asked, and see, oh yeah, he's afraid of this or he's uncomfortable. And so now I'm far less judgmental about people who have quote-unquote disobedient bad dogs because, you know, it, it's not just one level we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. There's, there's multiple levels to why the dog is doing what they're doing. And I think the average pet owner is dealing with a lot at once. Mm-hmm. And so to come in judgmental and say, well, you just need to be a better dog owner... Um, is not just the answer to everything because, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that drive a dog to behave badly. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of times it's things that are out of our control. Yeah. Like the genetics they're given, um, is a big one. Um, so I'm definitely far, far less judgmental. And I'm also a little bit, I think, a little bit more understanding with my own dogs i have more patience um i'm trying my best to adjust my expectations i definitely have done that with pax mm-hmm. with bayo i still haven't we're not there yet i still have high
0: expectations you have high expectations but you, i mean i think especially over this last year you've done a lot of adjusting how you're approaching things and yeah. taking a step back when he needed to take a step back from things yeah um But I think that's I think that's probably a common thread in when you're living with bad dogs um, of starting to approach things more from emotional stability before other things, because I I mean, I didn't come at this from a training perspective at all. I came at, you know, training initially from a pet owner's perspective Um, and growing up, you know, I grew up around dogs. I always had pets around Um, it was a much more lackadaisical, uh, pet ownership. I think, um, my, my family adored their dogs. We did, we spent a lot of time with them. You know, there was always, you know, a lot of care put into their, their keeping. There was not a high emphasis on training. Um, there was not a high emphasis on, you know, I think their, fulfillment and enrichment in life, they kind of accompanied us and they seemed happy with that. And that was good. Um, but you know, because of that, there wasn't, you know, I had a couple books growing up of, I would occasionally try to teach my dog to walk around my basement on a leash nicely. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of structured effort, um, of my dogs growing up. I can say at least one of them probably really could have used some real behavioral training help he was very fearful um and unlike everything we just talked about i can narrow it down exactly to my older male cousin running around chasing him as a puppy with his arms big and spread and shocker zeus was terrified of boys um so unsurprisingly we had a sensitive dog who had a fearful experience and was therefore scared of things um, and he probably always would have been more sensitive than his brother Pegasus, who was a lot more chill about everything. Didn't care about most things. Um, but didn't really have a whole lot of training experience. So there was a lot of, well, this should just work.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: because my dogs just worked. And in retrospect, you know, there are things they did like you know, busting out of their fence and busting through someone's screen door that in retrospect, I don't know if it did actually work. Um, I don't know that I can really say it did actually work, but it felt like it should. It felt like it should be easier than it was. So I think in that human hindbrain it's very tempting to start to use force it's very tempting to start to try to control the situation so you can make it just work um so and even I yeah even that's not a, from
1: that's a key word that you just said though so i think a lot of people focus on with training the focus is on control mm-hmm. and so a lack of control equates to a lack of training a lack of understanding of training um when I think you and I at least our our first focus is not necessarily control yeah um and I don't mean that we're letting dogs off leash and hoping for the best and just waiting for that
0: clickable moment um no um but no, I'm not known for letting my dog off leash. Yeah, this has been a problem. <laughs> I'm not I'm not known for letting go of a death grip on my leash.
1: Um, but I think when when someone would hear that, when I say, you know, my focus isn't to control the dog right away. I mean, obviously there's going to be some aspect of control in place, but I think the first response is you don't want you can't control your dog. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's also a response that you get like, you know, when someone is, is, has a barking and lunging dog or a dog that bites, control your dog. That's mm-hmm. the response, right? Well, what does control your dog mean in that moment? It means suppress the feelings yeah. that your dog... It means shut this down. Stop it. And, and your dog is communicating in that moment, I feel a certain way. Now, obviously, I'm not going to let my dog bite anyone or attack another dog. We are going to have a level of control here. But... I'm not going to just only focus on my dog must behave and negate the rest. You know what I mean? I need to I need to put into some consideration of why my dog is acting this way. Why did they act that way? And how can I prevent them from feeling that way? Feeling the need to react that way. Um, so you and I, I think, our first goal is not to necessarily emphasize the control
0: Mm -hmm. aspect um yeah and I think that's what with her like I'm I'm a data gatherer so I'm going to go and I'm gonna if anything comes to my attention my first instinct is to research it as far as I can um so a lot of what I was dealing with with mouse was that I I couldn't control it Like, I couldn't shut the behavior down. It wasn't working to shut the behavior down. And I wasn't coming at it with enough of an understanding of what was going on. Because, again, aggression didn't seem to fit. The emotions that are brought up when you read a lot about dog aggression didn't seem to fit. Um, So there was kind of a continuous search for better understanding of what was going on. And that took understanding where her emotional state was and learning to be very aware of what my environment and be situationally aware learning to be aware of her body language and seeing where her emotions were and how connected she could be with me and that i think is what put me in the position to also start considering that emotion and that's i mean that's something my students hear now all the time like that's my focus is always okay if your dog is frustrated if your dog is tired if your dog's behavior gets sticky switch to playing something fun i care more about That they have fun training. I care more about that they're enjoying spending time with you than any single behavior. And I do think that takes some people off guard.
1: Well, and I think you and I become obviously a support system for a lot of our clients, Mm -hmm. but I think as aspiring trainers or even just established trainers, I think it's really important that we have a support system that has the same ideology Mm -hmm. the same there's a word in there that I can't take out Um, I don't want to say morals but those same expectations those same ideals yeah. yeah, as you do so that you have someone with an understanding of where you're coming from because I think also, if your all your peers have, you know, the happy-go-lucky lab that was easy to train, you know, they read the book, they followed step one, step two, step three, and their dog did everything perfectly, that person's not going to have the same understanding of what you're going through. They're not going to have the same empathy. They might not have the same patience. And so you're going to have a level, I think, of judgment from people who don't understand. And so I think it is important, just like how Steph approached you. You know, she has a reactive dog, and she has the same ideals as you do. Mm -hmm. And so having a support system of people who not only can understand what you're going through, but understand how you're feeling about it and Mm -hmm. how you want to approach it can be helpful. Because at some point, you are going to be burnt out. You're going to have moments where things feel bad you know we're talking about a lot of you know take action um be understanding be realistic with your expectations all of those are well and good but you're going to have moments like human moments Mm -hmm. where you feel bad i have cried over Bao. um i had a lot of goals for him that i'd still like to meet but he's not exactly the dog that I expected him to be and it like we said you know it's okay to feel what you're feeling but I think it can be incredibly lonely if you don't have people who truly understand the position you're in and I think that support system is is extremely vital um whether it's in person or or online you know through a discord chat or on Facebook, yeah. you know, whatever it is, you need to have that support system. You need people to vent to, you need people who can tell you that this isn't forever. This is going to be okay. Um,
0: and I think that's key community beyond the professional connections. Cause, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, like you said, we're definitely support system for our clients and, and we try to be there, but, you know, at the end of the day, we are their trainer and we're going to give them action items and we're going to give them ideas and we're going to give them adjustments and that's well and good and it's needed. But, you know, there's also a lot of value in whether it's your trainer playing a dual role or if it's, you know, friends with similar situations or, you know, fellow trainers with similar situations of having the person that you can go to and just be like, can we just get a drink and give up on our dogs for anything? Because, We need to decompress yeah, and we need to to come to terms with how we're feeling about our dogs because we can't help them if we're coming from a place of frustration or exhaustion or, you know, hopelessness. And Uh, I think,
1: like, social media can be a great place for networking like that, but it's also hard not to compare your dog and your journey mm -hmm. because most of what you see on social media is high, the high moments the yeah the the highlight reel it's all the greatest moments of other people's dogs everyone sees my great healing of Bao on instagram they don't see the moments where he's lunging and barking at the end of his leash or redirecting onto me like he they don't see that and it's not because they don't exist it's that I don't personally want to relive them and I don't want to share them. Um, And I think, you know, while I do think it's important to be honest with yourself and with others and transparent, you know, there's not an, I don't think there's an expectation that you need to share your lowest moments either publicly. Um, I mean, obviously if anyone asks me or talks to me, I'm going to be completely open about it, but I think it's hard not to see what people share and expect that to be how their life is all the mm-hmm. time. And so when I say, like, be honest and open and transparent, I don't mean go share your worst days every day online to the general public. I don't think that's <laughs> the right answer. But I think making yourself open to conversation to other people who are, who are going through this... Reaching out when you see other people who are struggling. Um, Kind of making yourself available and then in turn having other people that are available to talk to. um, So that you're not sitting there comparing yourself to other people's highlight reel. Because it really, I I could absolutely see how, you know, you see these beautiful pictures and videos of people online. And you're like, wow, my dog's not like that every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dog's not even like that once... In a month, you I was know. never
0: like that,
1: yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, just keep that in mind. Um, you know, I'd like to be that person who could feel good about sharing publicly the worst moments of my life. But I personally, I don't think I can emotionally handle that. Because <laughs> I'd see it every day. Yeah. And it would just, it would hurt me. Um, but I'd like to think that I'm, you know, open and approachable to talk about mm. stuff like that. But, you know, I don't even share, like I have, I have two big reactions on video that I don't think I could share just straight publicly. I don't think I could just put it up. Um, but I think that puts kind of a false, uh, to an extent, a false image of how,
0: you know, my life with my dogs are. Yeah. Um, and there's a little bit of a catch twenty-two too with social media because everyone does that. So if, you do start putting up those worst moments, then there's an expectation there's, that those are my best that those are your best, yeah, yeah. that it it then colors things the opposite way of yeah. you know if this is if this is all you have to share, um mm-hmm. where yep. you know so there's a cultural agreement, I think on putting our best foot forward mm-hmm. on social media that does create a little bit of pretense, so I think countering that, like you said, with in person, when you're seeing someone struggling, when you see a dog that's struggling, being yeah. available as a resource of like, hey, I, you know, this is, yeah, this is what you see of my dog on screen. This is what I take pictures of, um, you know, even the pictures of mouse with other dogs. And what frequently is the next thing to happen in those pictures that get shared is her goosing the dog next to her. Um and sometimes that's taken well and sometimes it's not taken yeah. so well um, but you know we share the good moment the the negative moment is one that I think both Charlotte and I are pretty open I think you and I are both pretty open to talking yeah through, neither but of we're us we're not gonna
1: neither of us pretend to have perfect dogs but also you know again as owners of imperfect dogs and being trainers that work very hard to continue to be- better our skills I think it feels good to share those successes, because we know that our dogs aren't perfect. And so sharing those highlights, it, at least for me, keeps me motivated. You know, if I share that and it looks really good, my my goal is to have more and more of those moments. Mm -hmm. um, And so that they kind of overshadow the moments where my dog lunges at another dog and goes crazy. You know. That kind of stuff. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, I think, you know, these are all some valid points. Did you have another
0: question or are you... Um, I mean, I think the last question that I had was just kind of in general, you know, beyond your perspective on training, how has, how has having a bad dog changed your life? Um, I... Expect
1: disappointment in life a little bit more. (laughs)
0: That's cheery. That's a good note to end on. (laughs) My
1: expectations of what I get out of things are much lower. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no, I mean, I think, I think... (laughs)
0: And I said this See, last... See, I'm here, like, I think it's made me a more empathetic person. I think it's set oh, me for up sure. more to be a, You know, I think it set me up to be a better parent. You're like, I just expect everything to be shit. Look, look, I don't <laughs>
1: expect shit. I just... I definitely handle failure better. I am much more resilient than I used to be when things go bad. I plan for things to go wrong and hope they won't. So like I plan a little bit more around the inevitability that things can go wrong and, and go the way that I don't want them to go. Um, I don't internalize it quite as much. And when my dog fails, or when I fail, I don't it's not, it's not a reflection of me as a trainer. It's just a reflection of what happened in the moment. Anyways, I am definitely now more understanding of things that can go wrong and that do go wrong. Um, and I'm less judgmental over other people and their mistakes as well as my own, which I think is a good, good, good.
0: Direction. Good development. Good development in yeah, that. I think that absolutely empathy is probably the biggest development for myself over over multiple areas of my life that's come out of having a challenging dog, having a bad dog. Um, you know, it's if you're looking at the just the overall course of my life. I mean, my life would be entirely different. I would not be a dog trainer. Um, I would not have the friendships I have. I would not have the relationships I have. I would probably be a lot more stunted, I think, in terms of celebrating that progress over perfection. Um, and I think that that empathy that I learned to feel for Mouse, who, you know, is the embodiment of the cliche, You know, the dog that's giving you a hard time is a dog who's having a hard time. Um, you know, I think that that's true of every being. Um, and so three years after mouse, when I had my first child, I think my approach to parenting became incredibly colored by that. And, you know, I think I was, most people parent the way that they were parented and I was parented from a fairly positive, positive reinforcement perspective and approach, um, but coming at it from just the amount that I've needed to attend to my dog's emotional state. I think that's amplified a lot of the, the reactions that I have to my own kids and to myself of making sure that there's, there's room for growth. Um, you know, I think you and I are both perfectionists. Um, Again, a little bit. Never been told that uh, in my life. <laughs> so this is the first time be, hearing this. You know, it can be heartbreaking when you feel like you've messed up as a perfectionist. Um, whether that's in your training or in any area of your life, it, it's easy to it's easy to let that spiral. It's easy to let that be a defining moment, um, and <laughs> I don't think. I don't think without having the experience with a, a bad dog, who I believe is farting on Charlotte right now, um, <laughs> I think that the experience of the bad dog has made me a lot more a lot more gentle with myself, a lot more gentle with my kids and my family, and a lot more willing to extend appreciation for the little winds. Um, yeah. And observation of little winds that I might not have even caught before.
1: Yeah. Appreciating the, the journey mm-hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I'm going to end us out yep. with a quote Old from... <laughs> <laughs> no, this one's Churchill. Sure. <laughs> um, from Jean-Luc Picard. And it is a very...
0: Next generation. Let's get some Star Trek in here.
1: It is a very appropriate quote. Mm-hmm. It is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. That is not a weakness, that is life. So give yourself a break. Understand that you can only do your best and that tomorrow is a new day. Failure will not always happen all the time. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's, there's two parts, two ends of the leash here. All, all of your efforts something I'm trying to make this a nice like (laughs) hook you know at the end
0: I think on both ends of the leash you have to be aware of those tiny steps and to always go into a new training session a new walk a new day remembering that it's fresh with no mistakes in it yet and that's Anna Green Gables so we've got both sides of the literary uh fandoms
1: on here. We just got our quotes on. We're, we're all over the place. On Fleet. Uh,
0: do the kids still say on Fleet?
1: I don't know. <laughs> kids, weigh in. Kids, weigh in. Let us know if that At was hip or not.
0: Let us know if we're hip. Um,
1: Alright. Well, give yourself a break. Give yourself some credit. Tomorrow's a new day. And all we'll dogs. All dogs are bad dogs. All dogs are bad dogs. And all dogs are good
0: dogs. And all bad dogs are good dogs.
1: And all Good dogs or bad dogs.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>